Welcome to Statue Chat, a series that dives deep into the nominations and representations of the 2019 Oscars. I'm your host, Andrew Smith. This is actually going to be my last episode before the awards themselves this Sunday, but you can be sure to count on a final wrap episode after the ceremony as I break down who came out on top and what it may or may not say about the future of the industry. In this episode, I'm looking at how African Americans are represented in the films and the nominations, and later in the pod, You'll hear my interview with Pauline Batista, the graduate assistant at the African American Cultural Center here at the University of Connecticut. I want to open this episode by saying, as much as I love Hollywood, I think one of the most insidious things that it does is this cultivation of a sense of content with the status quo. Whether or not we acknowledge it, when watching a narrative film, we buy into the idea that it is providing us with a reflection of how the real world operates. And more often than not, rather than actively processing the sequence of events that we're presented with, movies encourage us to become passive viewers. When we buy into this belief that movies are representations of real life and are subsequently encouraged not to challenge those representations, we begin to internalize the rules and structures that they present us with. This is particularly troubling when it comes to racial diversity, or in the case of Hollywood, the complete lack thereof. The dominance of white protagonists in nearly every film genre forces viewers, regardless of their own race, to take on the white perspective. And over the decades, movies have defined whiteness as the default category, rarely giving people of color an opportunity to provide their own unique perspectives. This oppression behind the camera maintains the hegemonic structures that command the industry and perpetuate stereotypical, one-dimensional portrayals of marginalized populations. And even when people of color are able to produce their own films, more often than not, they're explicitly viewed as being about race. For example, the film Avengers Infinity War is normalized as a superhero movie, while something like Black Panther, one of the biggest critical and commercial successes of the year, is explicitly referred to as a black superhero movie. Ultimately, and I know this theme keeps coming back, but... It is only by vastly increasing diversity both behind and in front of the camera that we can begin to better understand the experiences of marginalized populations and start to actively undo the internalization of racial tropes and stereotypes that movies have been spoon-feeding us for years. The first thing I want to touch on is the seemingly contentious nomination of Black Panther for Best Picture. Even though the film is unlikely to win, the mere recognition of such a huge commercial and cultural phenomenon is a huge deal. I remember seeing it in the theater the night it came out, and the energy of the crowd watching it was palpable. There were so many kids in the audience, and I couldn't help but recognize how, as a white male, I can find all sorts of versions of myself on screen. For so many of these kids, it was one of the first times that they were able to see someone who looked like them in a role that up until then had been dominated by a bunch of white dudes. By recognizing the immense amount of talent that went into this film at one of the biggest award shows in the world, the Academy is asserting not only the validity of the artistry that went into it, but also the immense cultural impact that movies with positive role models can have on the future generation. The other two Best Picture nominations that I really want to highlight are Green Book and Black Klansman, two films that are on complete opposite ends of a spectrum of racial representation. The former, written and directed by two white men, tells the story of Dr. Donald Shirley and Tony Vallelonga, played by Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen, respectively. The film is based on a supposedly true story, more on that later, in which Dr. Shirley embarks on a tour of the Deep South hiring Tony as his driver-slash-bodyguard. 
And although the racial relationship provides an initial point of tension, through the deus ex machina of sheer friendship, Tony is able to overcome his bias. The film epitomizes what Tambe O'Benson calls, quote, the magical Negro stereotype. And to quote O'Benson further, quote, the magical Negro archetype is typically rooted in a white screenwriter's ignorance of any genuine African-American experience. He's typically patient, sometimes wise, and usually has some sort of magical power. His ultimate function is to help the white protagonist overcome some major character flaw, end quote. To put it bluntly, this is a film that both excuses white behavior and asserts that race relations would be so much easier if all African Americans were just PhD musicians. It's the kind of movie that caters directly to an older white audience who feel like merely by watching it they solved racism. Although Mahershala Ali is an absolute force in the role and likely will take home the award for Best Supporting Actor, his performance alone cannot rectify the film's overarching failure to acknowledge the complexity of race relations. And if all this wasn't enough, members of Dr. Shirley's family have condemned the film as absolutely untrue in its depiction of how the real-life narrative unfolded, calling it, quote, a symphony of lies. The film's filtering of the African-American experience through a white lens is already troubling, but to go so far as to manipulate truth itself and create a revisionist history, it strikes me as absolutely deplorable. On the way, 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 way other end of the spectrum is a film like Black Klansman. Directed by Spike Lee, who is an outspoken activist and received his first long-overdue Best Director nod for the feature, the film actively acknowledges and engages with the complex racial history of America. Set in the early 1970s, the film follows Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer in Colorado Springs as he infiltrates a local sect of the Ku Klux Klan. While Green Book tries to make racism feel like a thing of the past, Black Klansman throws that history in our face and forces us to confront the plethora of prejudice that still run rampant today. Released in theaters on the anniversary of Charlottesville and going so far as to utilize actual news footage of the neo-Nazi protest at the end, Lee does not necessarily give us a film that is hopeful. Instead, he gives us one that calls us to action, demanding that we wake up and refuse to succumb to the rising hateful rhetoric. While both of these films earned Best Picture nominations, the contrast between them is stark, clearly illustrating the massive breadth of representation available in contemporary cinema. When the Academy gives out Best Picture, the possible victory of either of these films sends a clear message about what is valued, either revisionist history and the assuaging of white guilt, or the demand that we recognize and fight back against the hate. As always, however, I'm just one opinionated white dude talking into a microphone, and after speaking with Pauline, it became clearer than ever why we need to raise up the voices of all different populations. Here are some highlights from that interview. So my first question, I want to talk a bit about the, in 2015, there was the hashtag Oscars So White campaign, where like all the nominees were white, clearly. Um, and I was wondering, do you think now... How much of a change have you seen, if any, since then? Okay, so 2015, right? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Spike Lee was... Um, he was... All right, they gave him an Oscar. He was nominated for his body of work, I believe. That was the year. 
um, around that time. The Oscars have been historically very white, right? The Academy has been historically very white. Um, there's also a complaint that um, the Academy is composed um, mostly um, by um, white folks right who do not necessarily have uh, film knowledge right they some of them like might be people who are very influential within their like own fields and 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 you know careers but they're not film connoisseurs right so there's limitations to that so yeah i agree i do agree that the oscars are white historically speaking but i do believe that change is coming Mm -hmm. and i do believe that change um has a lot to do with you know like um, the internet and like social activism um, from the moment in which um, the academy like sort of noticed that oops we're not the only authorities there's a whole crowd out there who can literally like make a short film like mm-hmm. you know and post about it immediately so I think that um, the time is really up for the Oscars to be you know as white as they used to um, and I think they would that that's just the beginning I really hope that's just the beginning honestly um, so um, obviously, one of the biggest films this year, Black Panther, got a Best Picture nomination, which I've kind of talked about um, in what I've recorded so far. But I was curious if what your thoughts are on the broader social implications of kind of this balance of not only a very like recognizing the artistry of it and the popularity of it, but also the cultural impact. OK, Black Panther um, is... Um, it's so funny because, you know, when you, when you, I was watching an interview by, you know, the director earlier and, um, his whole goal was, you know, I just wanted to make a good film. That was his ambition, right? He was trying to make a good movie, like a movie that was pleasurable. And, and he, and through his narrative, you hear him saying, you know what, when I was a kid that I went to, and he grew up, um, in California himself and he, um, used to go to like comic stores and he would be like well you know i really love comics but i don't really see people who look like me and someone who worked at the comic store actually went up to him and you know here's a black panther so marvel created the black panther right and he and he read it and he he just really fell in love with the narrative he became a filmmaker himself and when he was offered the chance to make it happen he said i want to make a good movie right because he understood that like you know that same feeling that he had when he learned first learned about the narrative around the Black Panther, right? He wanted to like maximize that and 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 really turn the movie into something that would be impactful because you know he felt impacted by it when he was a kid, and I think that's what he he did, right? There's so many dis- discussions about like um, different. Um, um, kinds of hierarchical power in there like you have two sides of the coin right um, um, we are living in the western um, side of the world but there are other um, narratives around the diaspora and whether the diaspora which is you know African um, slaves being brought from Africa into this western side of the world right so that's the diaspora so I think that like Black Panther showcases um, what would it be like if you know there was a perfect place called Wakanda overseas that we don't have access to? What would life be like, right? If um, those folks that were brought here um, during the diaspora stayed there and you know sort of like um, got to live your lives um, in you know the very um, way, very best way possible, right? And on the other hand, you have uh, the narrative of you know Michael B. Jordan, who is you know the villain, the antagonist within that narrative. What does he represent? He represents someone who was highly affected by the diaspora and slavery and all those sort of things. And you know, um, he he was someone who was exposed um, to an entirely different 
um, reality, right? Because Michael B. Jordan's character, um, he's here, he's in the United States, and he um, was exposed to uh, what being black feels like um, in a place after the diaspora, right? So, like, you know, it's historically um, black people have been oppressed and, you know, put in underrepresented um uh, places and then lumped in together in underrepresented communities. So uh, Michael B. Jordan, I think he represents the, the anger of it, the anger, of, like, you know, the. so it, it's really important to see, like, both narratives interacting, right? And and within the film, the narrative itself, just to make it more powerful, I think, to put, you know, Black Panther as, you know, the king of Wakanda as the protagonist and Michael B. Jordan as the antagonist, right? So in a way, that this is dial. It's very complex, right? So to, to try to simplify it, it's like there's a lot of social dialogue happening there, right? It's it's like the good, you know, the good versus the evil. And, it, and you're like, you're trying to negotiate, like, whose narrative are you? You know, people watch it trying to understand and be empathetic, you know, for Michael B. Jordan's character. But at the same time, you're really rooting for, you know, Wakanda and what Wakanda represents and the ideolo like the ideologies behind Wakanda, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of social dialogue. And I think that movie is a masterpiece in terms of, like, number one, creating the impact. Number two, creating social dialogue. And number three, it's very pleasing to the eye because, you know, aesthetically, it's, it's just a very pleasing um, piece of work. And there's kind of this... Um narrative in Hollywood, which Black Panther proved to be untrue, that, you know, movies with African-American leads don't sell globally. Do you think that this is going to be a big turning point where maybe finally Hollywood's going to start backing more movies that feature more diversity? Well, you know what, Andrew, you're so right. This is a really great point. Um, it's so funny because, you know, that argument is just so outdated because one of the things is, okay, so this is kind of what happened. I'm just going to, like, give you, like, a 101 communication over a timeline. So what happened was in the 1970s, um, the United States started um, to like, you know, seriously um, um, think about distributing like television entertainment to sat satellite television, right? Uh, but films that already made to like Latin America at that point. So with that being said, though, you have more distribution opportunities, which for film buffs, we know what distribution is, is when you get a piece of art, a narrative, and you just distribute it. And there's like all sorts of like ways to make it happen. So like, I think that one of the, and one of the points that a lot of scholars in communication, um, you know, they, they keep talking about is that, you know, Hollywood is successful because it showcases diversity. Now, how, you know, how they do it, that, that, that's, you know, um, that could be like a, a topic for like an entirely different, <laughs> you know, a podcast, right? But you, you, you're in Latin America and you're looking at the, uh, some narrative of, I don't even know, for instance, The Help, which is also a highly controver controversial uh, piece of work, right? You're looking at The Help and you're like, hmm, you know, there are maids in, in Latin America as well and there are black as well. So it's, we can kind of, you know, I can, I can connect with them. My, my great mom, my, my great grandmother was a slave too, right? So those commonalities across different countries um, were, were allegedly what really made Hollywood successful. Now we have a shift, which is really important. So besides showing, showcasing diversity and representation, now Hollywood starts to allow for narratives in which you know black people are the protagonists right so that's an entirely different ball game like and i think that will be really interesting to see um you know in the within the next few years because now 
you know, black people from the Caribbean are watching, you know, Black Panther and saying, wow, this person is black just like I am, but they're also um, in a position of power, right? So that will, will, it will, I think that it's sort of like, you know, a drop in the water, you know, when you have a drop in the water, it starts to make waves, right? So I think that Black Panther in this new movement, this is a drop in the water, you know, um, and we'll have to see what the waves will look like in the future. But I'm, you know, this is beautiful that we have protagonists and, you know, like, you know, characters of power um, being black and, and, and beautiful, you know, being shown. I think that will be a huge, that will be very impactful. We just have to wait a few years to see what's going to happen. One thing that I'm curious about is a lot of times, even a movie like Black Panther, which is a superhero movie and one of the more commercial genres, in some sense it is viewed as political because of the diversity. Do you think that it will ever be possible that films with people of color can be apolitical or should they even be for that matter? You know, I think they have to be political. Why? Because um, the society we currently live in is a society that is, you know, quote unquote, white supremacist, right? It's, you know, there's still racism, there's still all sorts of social problems, right? I think we can all agree with that. You don't need to be like a scholar or a specialist. You can still see that people of color are treated differently because of what they look like, right? Within several contexts. And it's just, you know, they need, and, and at this point, so at this point with that society just being like a predominantly white, supremacist society right i think that we need to be political and we need to be intentional right because neutral neutrality being neutral will not help so yep he was strategic with his film right spike lee has been strategic with his film since 1986 when you know do the right thing came out and i think you still have to be political and strategic up until the point in which we have like a huge social change that will sort of like shape things and into more, you know, I don't know, into equality, really, I think. Um, I was wondering if you could just talk a bit more about uh, Spike Lee is obviously one of the household names for African-American directors. And I'm curious, this is his first Best Director nomination, and he has a huge body of work. I know he got, uh, you mentioned, I think, an honorary award. Mm -hmm. But kind of what do you think is significant about him finally kind of getting this nomination? Yeah, I, I went to New York to see a lecture. And it was a lecture about him, um, you know, he, he was talking about, like, um, music and how music is used in filmmaking, right? And I was talking to him, like, you know, Spike, hi, you know, thank you for keeping it alive. For me, that was a huge accomplishment because, you know, I came all the way from Brazil here, you know. So for me, I was just trying to, like, really keep it together, right, for the sake of being professional and and I was like, you know, Spike, I'm here to thank you for everything. I asked him a, a question about um, film editing and, like, how he works, you know, col in collaboration with a, an editor. And, and, and for him, filmmaking is a very simple process, right? And he... <laughs> It's, and it's crazy because his films are extremely political and they make, like, such huge statements and just, like, kind of leave you, like, oh, my God, look at that, right? They wow you, like, politically. And with Spike Lee, the beautiful thing about him is he's not always trying. He's not trying to do anything. He's just trying to make a point, right? This is wrong. That's how, that's exactly why I'm going to showcase it, the way in which I'm going to showcase it. And this is kind of it right and he's just very simplistic in the way in which he tries to like you know sell his point he's not forceful and he's just you know he is who he is right he is spike lee and i think that him getting that honorary degree that was a huge moment and i remember at the time he was just like i'm not gonna 
I'm not going. Like, that's that's not, you know. And that's coming from Spike Lee, coming from someone who has that mentality of, like, really getting to the work instead of just, like, being, thinking about it for a really long time and getting to the point. Um, I, f- I think it's wonderful that he was, you know, finally nominated as um, a director because it's phenomenal, right? Uh, but at the same time, I think for him, it's just like, you know what, whatever. I have, you know, raised this question and I have brought, you know, um, the discussion around you know, black bodies being used in film into like a whole new level with my body of work. So for him, I think that's he's more content about that versus like just, oh, it's a prize. It's a, it's a statue that I'm, you know, taking home. And, you know, yeah, for him, it's just like much bigger than that. I think that's 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 great conversation. That's pretty much everything. Do you have any closing remarks that you would like to offer? Um, you know, just stay tuned, and you know, the ch- change is really coming. It's really slowly, but surely it's coming because it's not sustainable anymore. Um, you know, white supremacy through film will not survive. And stay tuned. There's more to come. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Pauline Batista for talking with me. And that's it for this week on Statue Chat. I'll talk to you guys again after the Oscars. Thank you.